0: well welcome back to crazy face talk i'm erica i'm steve and i'm sarah
1: And uh, if you've been joining us this Advent, you know that we are almost out of candles on our Advent wreath. Uh, So we are getting close to the end of this season. But uh, we've been taking a look this Advent at some of the major themes. Sometimes seems even paired with the candles that go on your Advent wreath. We've taken a look at uh, hope and peace and joy. And that means there's one more place for us to head in Advent. Where are we going today, Sarah?
2: Love!
1: Hooray!
2: Yay! I believe that there is a classic Beatles song that says all you need (laughs) is is love. love. Yeah, so all you need is love. Uh, That's not to say that the other three candles that we have already talked about aren't (laughs) important because they are, but I am a big believer that God is love and therefore Mm -hmm. all of those other things that we've talked about so far, joy, peace, hope, they're all there because we have love and because God loves us.
0: Absolutely, Sarah. But this is one of those ones, one of those themes in Advent. In You mentioned God is love. That is scriptural. That's in one of the John letters. I think it's First John. Um, but love is one of those words that we don't necessarily find right in the Christmas story, is it? It's not
2: anywhere <laughs> in at least Luke's version. Like if you read the um john's gospel uh mm-hmm. there is that part fairly early on it's not like so he doesn't really have the birth narrative right so but fairly early on in john's gospel there's a verse that is on like every single religious christmas card ever mm-hmm. um for god so loved <laughs> oh the world etc 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 um but that is not in the birth narrative that is very true
0: so why then is love a theme? You know, because we find hope in that expectation, in that waiting for a Messiah. We find peace when the angels say, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to all. And we find rejoicing with the angels and, and the shepherds are all rejoicing over the birth of Jesus. But love, it's kind of written between the lines, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's implied. It's implied love. <laughs>
0: I I I think it's
1: it's worth noting we talked at the beginning of this series how um some of the themes in this season are require attention to them like hope requires sort of the present circumstances mm-hmm. to be kind of unpleasant for there to be something to hope toward. Otherwise your hope was already realized. Uh, and that joy has this ability um to be uh, over against grief or darkness. Um, and I, I think love is is interesting because it it's it's one of those realities that doesn't always need to be said out loud if action sort of embodied. So that maybe our our instead of like blushing at the idea oh my goodness the word love doesn't show up in the nativity story is there really love to be found there at all yeah in spades right it's it's there it's the motivating factor for why there is the incarnation um and and maybe to your point sarah about quoting the the passage from john 3 um that uh john doesn't give us a traditional nativity story with mangers or magi or anything like that um and even that passage uh, John from, from John three, for God still loved the world comes uh, in a conversation with Jesus as an adult. But the, the gist there is sort of, this is what the story is about. The giving of the son uh, is this gift of God's own love is, is here's what God's love looks like. It looks like self-giving. It looks like God's mm-hmm. choice to enter into our humanity. Um, and that if, if that's, if that's not love, I don't know what is, that, that love is is first and foremost embodied in action and presence uh and when you've got that maybe it doesn't need to be spelled out in in words or only words
0: and i think it might be good that it's not spelled out in words because it's so easy especially in today's culture for us to say that we love everything Mm. you know but how often do we actually show our love even to other people right you know love has just become uh, an adjective you know I don't know what part of speech, but like it's just become a word and right. it, it's lost a lot of its meaning. Right. Um. And, and so the fact that it doesn't show up as a word in the narrative, I think makes it all that more stand out, maybe all that more because it is shown. Yeah. Rather than spoken. It, well, maybe it, they... It's
2: almost like a ninth grade English writing project, right? Where you have to show, not tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 I I can remember um, when I was in uh, high school creative writing class, um, the the teacher used to say um, about the word strife, you only get to use it twice in the entire segment on poetry because everybody likes to use it because that's a word that rhymes with life. But nobody like, there's no good use. It just sort of like this like mm-hmm. thrown out word, right? Um, and in, in a way, I feel like love is one of those words that like like you say, Erica, can be so easily thrown around that we cheapen it by using without without meaning it, without embodying it. Um, and and I, I guess if if this whole season long if in our conversations this advent here on crazy faith talk has been about unsentimentalizing peace and joy and hope then maybe of all four of them love is the one most in danger mm-hmm. of being turned into just something sort of sac sweet or kind of sentimental um rather than um something that is self-giving or sacrificial or um that is is not always not always easy but but present i guess and maybe that's something we need to flesh out that love isn't is more than just sort of like the butterflies in your stomach feeling that like fifth grade version of us all thought about love
0: well even in the greek text you know most for in english we have one word for love it's Mm -hmm. love whether that's romantic love godly love or i love tacos right it's all the same word right but in the greek text throughout the new testament most of the time when it talks about love especially in that passage from first john that sarah mentioned earlier mm-hmm. you know god is love and um for god so loved the world from john um uh, the gospel of john chapter 3 that's not the same type of sentimental love that we often think it is yeah yeah that that's a an agape love that's a godly love um that does that that reaches out that is is self-sacrificing love yeah um And when we read that and we just read love, we can interpret it in so many different ways because we do use that word in so many different ways. And it loses sometimes its meaning when we don't know what it was based off in the original Greek.
1: I think I remember reading somewhere too that prior to the New Testament, um, the word agape didn't really carry the sense of being a virtue in the Greek and Roman world. They would have been happy to say like fillet love, like sort of brotherly fraternal mm. love that counts or, or storge, which is sort of familiar love. Um, but the agape almost had like a, a capricious, like a, there's nothing lovely in this thing that you're loving. There's nothing worthy of it. It's almost like a, you know, mm. reckless sort of like, and and Christianity just sort of revels in it. Like, yep, it's not because we're particularly lovely uh, that that we're beloved. It's not. It's not about rewarding worthiness with love, but almost like in spite of the fact that we can be real stinkers, um, and in spite of the fact that it's not always fun or easy to show agape. Agape is sort of the 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 way of life, uh, or the the, the character of God. And I guess that, that says that like it's, it's love that is willing to do good to the other, even if it doesn't get something in return at the moment, or maybe even ever, you know, that like there's yeah. this willingness for it to be unconditional or even unrequited. Um, that other kinds of love sort of demand a reciprocity, you know, that when, when you talk about sibling love, it's, you know, well, I'll, I'll help out my brother, but then he's going to help me out, or I'll help my sister, mm-hmm. but she'll help me out later, um, or family love and, and even Eros love, that sort of romantic. Or love of gratification sort of assumes that there's a, a balance with it, but agape has this willingness to risk, I will seek the good of the one who is beloved, even if they don't return it. To me, that seems like that's really at the heart of what makes both the the birth of Jesus uh, good news but the whole of Christianity good news is that it mm-hmm. isn't grounded on we gotta pave God back, that God does this, but it's sort of a, on a contingency plan of we 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 better make it worth God's while but that God risks it all and and comes despite the fact that we are sometimes awfully unlovely and loveless.
2: And you know that is so countercultural both I think for today. Yeah. Um But as well as, like, 2,000 years ago, when all of the other religions that were surrounding um, Jerusalem and Judea, you know, the you worshipped and served your gods, your god or gods. But it was supposed to be, I'm serving them, and if I'm really, really lucky, they'll throw me a bone and, like, make sure that I have enough rain to water my crops.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And to have have it kind of that narrative flip on its head to say that no our god is a god who loves us ex- even when we don't deserve it especially because we don't deserve it and god's going to do this amazing thing for us because god loves us so much that god is willing to do that even though we can never pay that price we can never pay god back yeah. because it's too big of a thing
1: yeah yeah and and maybe even too, you make a good point about comparing the the Christian narrative to the the generic uh, narrative of of the the religions of of the empire at the time. That so often the assumption was if you offered the sacrifices or prayers or whatever offerings to your God, then like the thing you would get from your God was something that like, was you got to basically order, you know, so I want the harvest or I want you no know, children or mm-hmm. I want you know, whatever. And like the way you knew your God had heard your prayer was that, you know, your God fixed your problem or did what you asked for. And even the, the, the Christian story is a little bit different there because like the idea of an incarnation isn't just that God, you know, snaps a divine finger and grants our wishes like a genie, but it's about a God who chooses to come into the mess with us even while the mess remains. Um, th- that's different than we've got a problem, we call on God, God fixes it. But to say that God's way of expressing love is I will enter into this this mortal life with you as one of you, among you, that's entirely unexpected and and certainly not the the way... Uh, most of those other ancient faiths would have imagined when you cry out to Zeus, you don't expect Zeus to show up and say, let me spend 30 years as one of you to learn mm-hmm. what it's like to be, you know, a human, but instead, you know, either Zeus sends a lightning bolt and zaps your enemies or got, or he doesn't, but you don't expect incarnation that way. I, I guess I wonder if that is also a helpful jumping off point for maybe how we unsentimentalize what love looks like as the followers of Jesus too, that like, it can be tempting for us to think, "Oh, showing love to people is I fix your problem." When sometimes what people need is is incarnation from us, is mm. to just show up, is the presence, mm-hmm. and that it's not I'll swoop in and here I'll fix it because I I have in mind what will fix your problem, but more what people sometimes need is I need I need someone who will who will be with me through it, um, and that it's not I mean, I'm I'm a child and I need someone to solve my problem for me. A lot of times I know what I need to do, I know what needs to happen, but it's good that I'm not alone while I'm doing it.
2: That I found to be a really difficult lesson that I had to learn uh, in seminary. You know, in seminary, a lot of us go through that clinical pastoral education, uh, CPE, where you're a hospital chaplain for a summer. Yeah. And a lot of that is learning that ministry uh-huh. of presence, of just being with somebody and i remember really struggling in some of those hospital rooms and thinking like oh if only i had the perfect words to say i could make this better and it's like no no there are no words that's going to make this situation better because at the end of the day this person that i'm sitting with is going to lose his father or a mother or yeah. spouse or whomever. Um, you know, my the word I there's no perfect words to make that pain go away. All I can do in this situation is to sit with them so that they're not alone mm-hmm. or offer a prayer or, you know, just be there. Yeah. And that was really, really difficult I remember learning how to do because All of my instincts were saying, say the perfect thing, do the perfect thing, and it'll be better. And it's like, that's not how it works.
1: Yeah. I I guess I even think that's one of the challenges even beyond uh, professional pastoral ministry in the Christian faith. But just being uh, a mature human being is is learning that that there are Mm -hmm. times where there's something where it's a problem that needs to be fixed. Uh, you know, leaky faucet. Be good. Figure out how to fix it. Take the lesson in plumbing. Watch the YouTube video. Fix the leaky faucet. Um, but sometimes it's this is this is not something that is uh, a person isn't a problem to be solved, but a situation that needs someone to accompany them. Um, and learning that, recognizing that love often is more. I'll share the difficult thing with you rather than I'll take the difficult thing away with a you know a wave of my wet magic wand. I think that that makes it again, harder and maybe less sentimental to love people that way um well, like when i think about how many christmas time movies involve like some last minute christmas miracle i mean again I, I don't mean to rag on like this is your steve on a soapbox talking about how terrible christmas movies are although i could do that <laughs> um but more like how often the the logic and the final act of so many of those depends on the entirely made up notion of a christmas miracle like oh at christmas miracles happen whereas like no in the birth of jesus th- like it, it's not like uh the the wise men are worried they're not going to make it time they make it before you know christmas day dawn nope they arrive like two years later <laughs> um it's it's not it's not that uh that christmas is defined by everything got solved before the mm-hmm. clock strikes midnight but so often it's the problems keep dragging out and it's about a god who comes with us while things are unresolved rather than who ties everything in a nice bow for us
0: you know, one of my favorite names for jesus is emmanuel mm-hmm god with us Mm -hmm. and and so the idea that at christmas god became one of us still to this day blows my mind yeah when i when i really just take the time to sit down at the end of a christmas eve service and and just think about that and think about what i just preached on and and, um you know and it's it's an example of what that incarnational spirit looks like and and how we are to be incarnate to others and right. and so that is I, I i know it all year round but this is that time of year that i'm always deeply reminded of what it means to just sit and be with other people yeah um, because jesus sat and was with us you right. know he came as an infant he couldn't do anything right he didn't come as an adult he came as a baby helpless um and you know and that's Sometimes the situation we're put in, we're helpless to yeah. say the right things, to do the right things, but we can just sit.
1: I, I think that's an important piece that maybe sometimes again gets lost or sentimentalized is that, like, we talk about if we talk about the fact that God becomes a baby, it just sort of stays at the cuteness level. Oh, you know, the babies are cute and isn't that not? But like, the notion that if if part of the plan, if God's design to deal with a broken world is to show up as one of us like any one of us might've said, all right, well, surely God then shows up as a grown-up so we can get right to the importance of the teaching, Mm -hmm. the saving, the miracles, you know, the, the cross business. And that Nope, that God's God's design in Jesus means most of Jesus' lifetime. Isn't what we have in the gospels. You know, you you read Mark, it could be like Jesus had two weeks of worth of time, maybe in Mark's gospel, (laughs) a couple of years, maybe if you read the longest possible uh, narration, but like, even at that, that means that most of Jesus' earthly life is stuff we don't have any stories or record about. And yet that's part of God's response is entering into the fullness of, and that means for an awful lot of, of Jesus' lifetime there, God was learning to talk, learning to walk, learning mm-hmm. words for things, um, stumbling and falling and scuffing the divine knee. Like this is this is mind-blowing when you think about it. That like how is that fixing or saving anything, God? Except mm-hmm. that it's not just about fixing. It's about being with.
2: Uh, Jesus, too, needed to be potty trained.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or however they would have talked about the first century version of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, like to, to to consider those realities and that that um, not everything was um, raised another dead person today, cured another leper today, taught another sermon today, but just that sharing of humanity is a part of God's um way of saving and redeeming whatever it means for god to save the world through jesus involves the complete taking on of all of humanity Mm. in in jesus not just the moments where it looks like jesus is fixing something
0: and even in his adult ministry how much of his time is spent sitting and being with folks right right right, right. yeah we go straight to the miracles and to the sermons and the teachings but jesus had to eat right Mm -hmm. you know jesus had to share meals with people like he did incarnational ministry all the time and most often even in those three years that he was truly ministering every second wasn't a miracle
1: right 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 yeah well like the in in that regard like We don't need to blush about the fact that, like, you know, Mark will say things like, there's Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. Well, it it would be easy to go, oh, my goodness, why do we have that story? Jesus should only always be awake or protecting or saving or calming storms, except that, no, the notion of God takes on humanity, that God's love is incarnational means that, yep, that part of what that looks like is Jesus shares what it is to be people who get tired and sleep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that's such an important idea because, again, so often we are quick to talk about that what what Jesus coming is about is saving us in some definitive action. And yes, there's a time, probably come Lent, we'll talk about things like how Jesus saves us, you know, all, there's all sorts of language there, but the 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 real wonder of this season and this moment in the the church's reflection every year is that God doesn't just skip ahead to that. God God doesn't cut Mm -hmm. to the car chase. God doesn't cut to the action part, but it's know that the, the being with us is somehow part of what is necessary. And God chooses to be with us, sharing life among us and being with us. I guess I even think that gives a whole new window on the other great salvation story of uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the the whole saga of Exodus and journey to the promised land. That as much as we might, if we were designing the story, we might have said, well, surely they go right from the Red Sea right to the promised land. And even if you're walking in a straight line, it would not take 40 years. Um, But like that whole notion of the God who goes with them even when it looks like they're just putzing around getting lost. Like for all those years, God doesn't say, Mm -hmm. I did the saving. I'll meet you in the promised land. See you then, but I'll be with you. And there's God day by day by day going through all the uh, indignities of wandering in the wilderness. I I guess I, I, I think it's it's helpful that we're naming this out loud because I think somehow in the back of our mind for a lot of us, maybe, especially anybody um, who has, um, paid attention to pop music in the last 20 years um like i think many of us have this um cold play i will fix you theology in the back of mind. like there was that like really really popular song in the last i don't know 15 20 years by the band Coldplay, where the, re- the refrain is i will try to fix you man i got used in a bunch of tv shows and movies it was like and i think some people sort of like their default assumption is like yeah whatever christianity is it's about god saying i will fix you Um, to be sure there's some kind of sense of healing or mending what's broken, but I I think, I think there's something deeper than, than, uh, just, I will fix you, but that I will, I love you as you are and that whatever love is, it has to be, I accept you as you are rather than I will only love you once you are fixed. Could I pose a question to to both of you then? Um, we've talked in each of these episodes so far about, okay, if, if we get the idea of whatever the virtue of the day is joy or love or peace. Uh, and and it's not just something sentimental. What does it look like to be church with that in mind? How does it change your sense of ministry to try and do ministry in a way that, that's this kind of incarnational love and not just sort of schmaltzy or I'll zip in and fix you kind of love? What what does it look like to do that in your ministry as as pastors or as congregations?
0: I mean, for me, the incarnational side of it, a lot of times shows up in the same experiences that Sarah talked about with CPE. Mm -hmm. just you know now in in full-time ministry sitting in hospital rooms sitting at deathbeds, going to funerals uh my one of my secretary my secretary lost her mom earlier this year Uh, her mom was a staunch catholic and so was buried in the catholic church but i went to the church for the funeral Mm -hmm. i wasn't performing it but i went to support my secretary Mm -hmm. um and for her to know you know that i was there for her and in the time of grief so that's for me probably the biggest and, and most immediate
1: yeah.
0: response to incarnational love in my ministry. So a huge
2: part of my ministry has been to make sure that people hear that God loves them exactly how they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up uh, heavily influenced by Southern Baptist preaching, where which was very like you need to try to be perfect and earn God's mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. Um, as well as I had received the message along the way that man, men were created in the image of God, and then woman was created from man, and so like women had almost the step of removal from being made in the image of God, mm-hmm. and so like that was I was I, I heard that a lot growing up, mm-hmm. and so. In a lot of ways, it almost felt like I had to work harder for God's love because I was a woman Mm. um, than like men did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it took a lot of training and conversation in college and in seminary to kind of wrap my brain around that, no, I too was made in the image of God. God Mm -hmm. loves me for exactly who I am because God created me Mm
0: -hmm. and therefore
2: who I am right now today. God loves God's creation in me Mm -hmm. Um, and I will hopefully continue to grow and to learn and God will continue to love me in that growth Um, and if I should trip and fall God will love me even then Mm -hmm. Um, and I've you know since I've begun this ministry that I'm in right now um, it's there's a lot of people who have found their home in my congregation, who in one way or another have been told by the church or their community that God doesn't love them because of parts of the, their identity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether because they are gay and lesbian and being told that God doesn't love, like love that choice, um, and you know being told that it was a choice when they're saying, "Hey, no, if I could have chose differently. I would have chosen easier." <laughs> right like that's this was not a choice Mm -hmm. um but they were told that god didn't love them um i have people who were told that they weren't loved as much because of the color of their skin um you know and but that these are messages that they have been told throughout their lives of god doesn't love them Mm -hmm. and so i feel like it's part of my ministry to say no 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 god does love you yeah like look at all the ways that god has loved you in your life um let's pay attention to those moments and pay attention to how God is showing up in your life today, because God is showing up in our lives. God is still with us. Maybe not in the same way as God was in the lives of Jesus's disciples who like physically knew Jesus and could touch him and hear him speak. But God is still with us even Mm -hmm. now. And God still loves us.
1: I wonder, Sarah, we, we talked earlier about how love shows up often in actions beyond just mere words. If being unloved or being dismissed also shows up, not just in words that like, maybe people mm-hmm. haven't heard like a sermon on God doesn't love you, but man in actions, it's been clear. Like, yeah, you're not really as valued. Like, so I'm like, I, I even wonder if there were a bunch For of sure. unspoken ways, both in your experiences, you were talking about um uh personally or people in congregations who beyond just like, what what official words get said but in the ways that people treat you that there's that sense of yeah they said they love me but their actions said like nope I just wasn't worthy um mm-hmm. and that's something to pay attention to because we can all get the words right and say yep we're we're supposed to love everybody and then man when it doesn't when it's not backed up with our actions we sort of show how hollow those words are
2: yes actions for sure are louder than words
1: yeah yeah Which again, it's
2: also. I firmly believe that for every negative thing that is told to us, Mm -hmm. it's going to take three or four positive (laughs) things told Mm -hmm. to us, whether verbally or non-verbally, for us to like step away from that negative thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and to believe it, because it's it's almost like there's some there's something. fundamentally insecure about a lot of us that when something negative gets said or directed toward us, we believe that more easily. Yep. I felt, I failed. Mm -hmm. Yep. I messed up. And it almost takes like more effort, more times of being said, no, you're good. You're worthy, you know, um, for it to sink in. And even then it can sound like, uh, it's too good to be true or there's a catch Mm -hmm. or something. I, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but I, I, um, I often wrestle with there's there's this famous scene at the end of the movie saving Private ryan uh you know that movie where it's about rescuing the mm-hmm. uh the guy from from uh, middle World War two and at the end of the movie. If, uh, um, the, the commanding officer who is dying basically in order to save Private Ryan um, says to Matt Damon's character, earn this, right? And then it flashes forward and now he's an old man and he's going and visiting the graves there at the cemetery in the battlefield. And he asks, I think it says his wife who's now, you know, old alongside him, did, did I live a good enough life? Did I earn this? Um, and I guess there's some piece of me that thinks like, for a lot of people who have not heard otherwise, like they're like, yeah, that's pretty much what the Christian message is, is God'll love you conditionally on a you know provisional basis, mm-hmm. but then you gotta do your part too. And like it's if, if that's what we have heard again, it's not really love. That's just sort of God, you know, trying to, to bank on an investment paying off. Like I'll, I'll sink the money in and loving you now, but I assume at some point you're going to show yourself worthy. Um, and I'm not really sure that's what love is. That's, that's, you know, I, we need some other word for that's like, um, just a, 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 an investment. Um, but yeah, to, to actually let it sink in, you are loved right now, not future you, not potential you, mm-hmm. but you right now are loved. I guess I think that's one of the cool things about the way the Christmas story plays out too is that whether you're reading Matthew's telling or Luke's telling, it's there's a pause at the end. You know, Mary treasures these things in her heart, but like, man, then we're off to there's there. It's not resolved yet, like you know, um, and that that God chooses to be in the in in this messy world where the very next day, man, Mary and Joseph are going to have to flee for their life because Herod's after them, or you know, Jesus is going to have to go to the temple. Like, it's it's not like. With the coming of Christmas, humanity gets it and decides to be nice to each other and the world is all perfect at the end of it. But nope, God continues to be with us even when at the end of the Christmas story we continue to be rotten stinkers who are in need of just someone to be with us even through the, the 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 messiness and the rottenness. So maybe in these waning days of Advent. We could simply invite folks, pay attention, not just to where love shows up as a word in your favorite Christmas carol or Advent hymn, but maybe how it shows up in the actions of what God's done for us in Jesus. But then, as both of you have challenged us today, to be people who embody that kind of love in our actions as well, so that the world that catches us singing our first Noels and fa la la las will pay attention to what we have to say because it'll show up matching in what we do. Join us next time um, for a Christmas time episode here on Crazy
0: Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?